0: Hi my dudes. Welcome back. Welcome back to the next episode of my podcast. I know I've not been as consistent as I should have been and I'm sorry that the last episode was 2 weeks ago. So please bear with me here for a second. I've not been able to find a lot of friends to talk to lately and a lot of other things have come up in my life. I've been working with my girlfriend towards her coming over and needing to spend a lot of time with family again as there's birthdays out, there's people marrying left, right, and center, so I'm on marriages here and there to attend parties and weddings and whatever not. So, um, I apologize as time was limited, but I also didn't really get enough people to talk to, unfortunately. So, um, my output and my, my, my constant stream of people on the show... Well, was limited last couple of weeks. Now, what that means is, for the remainder of the year, I'm going to switch this podcast over to a new episode every two weeks. So, you won't get a new episode every one week. Unfortunately, only one new episode every two weeks. I hope I can manage to keep that up. So, that's what's been going on. Now, my guest today is Leonard Lauber. So... I usually call him as a nickname Leo, and he's been one of my high school friends. We've been now we've now known each other for about I don't know about over barely about ten over ten years around that time, and um, after leaving high school, he spent time abroad with a volunteer for doing volunteer work and then came back to study medicine. And just recently he graduated and now is actually working as a doctor of medicine in a hospital nearby. Well, not his only doctor job, so he has been, been working at different hospitals. And um, we've been keeping up to date. We occasionally do meet because he's living nearby to play some board games, play some computer games, and just talk about old times or new times as well. So. Today, we'll be getting into a little bit of what he thinks about coronavirus, about generally the virus going around, and what what people in, in hospitals, what, what the regulations in hospitals are like, and what will change. And then Leo goes around and actually takes on the head of the host and comes around and asks me a couple of questions. So we end up talking a lot about Japan and Germany and um, living abroad and how... A Culture Shark works out what the difference in attitude between different countries are, and he talks about his volunteer work abroad and his one year that he spent in Poland working with Pax Christi, which is an institution bringing people to Germany and um, bringing people abroad to help out with volunteer work. Hope you're going to enjoy this one. So buckle up and let's get into it. Hi Leo. Hi Carsten. Um Um I'm as a good start to a podcast always, I think. <laughs> it's it's if you're missing missing words. Um yeah, I we've been friends for since high school. And yeah, for
1: quite some time, yeah.
0: And we have been through well, through different phases in our lives. Th- seeing each other go abroad, and you have in the time where I studied Japanese, went abroad to J- Japan. You have um, been learning to become a doctor. In yeah. um, what specific field?
1: Uh, it's human medicine. There's no specific specific field during university. I see.
0: Yeah, and um, I guess we've been. For a long time also been playing Arkham Horror together, or like other cardboard games, card games, um, with a group of our high school friends. And that's how we've held contact. Yeah. So, I guess for today I'd like to just talk a little bit about what your experiences are. And, and um, we can just, I don't know, ramble on and do anything we like. So, sure. Um, if you, if you have anything anything to say to start with, like something um, right off the bat that you like to, to introduce about yourself, then go ahead. If not, like, we can just just uh, start and let's get going.
1: I think you have told the most of the important stuff. I've studied medicine uh, close to where I lived during high school. I've been abroad, abroad a year as well in Poland, not as far as Japan. Uh, but lived there for a year and now I've started my job in September, which is a new yeah chronic for me, which starts. yeah,
0: yeah right. the new new chapter is opening right? Just amidst the the coronavirus pandemic there. Mm-hmm. So as a doctor, have you had um, what's your experience or what's your take on on coronavirus? And uh, I I know that you're not a learned epidemiologist or something like that, but like you, I guess you gotta have a take on on the virus, right?
1: You mean in, in general? In right?
0: general, yes, in general.
1: Um, yeah. I,
0: I'm I'm not looking to find find um um a, a an opinion that that enrages people. I'm just just looking to to listen to what you have mm. to say.
1: No the Difficult part with the coronavirus is that uh, very few people get so ill that they actually get tested and found out positive. Like, there have been pandemics in human society for a long time, always different ones. And um, if you think about measles, for example, a lot of people do get ill so that you know that they had the measles and that they can infect other people. And with Corona, it's difficult that lots of people do not know that they carry the virus and can spread it. And that's, well, that's the difficult part. And that we have to protect certain groups of peoples. And, um, yeah, we can only do this as a society. Like, there's no... Um, no cure for now. Like, there are medications you can give to help the immune system. Um, But we're, as a society, very, um, how you say it, uh, unprepared for now Mm -hmm. for something like this. Yeah, and I I guess uh,
0: latest studies have shown that masks do protect at least in one direction and um, that it's Quite a good measure to to take to to get rid or to to help out with the spread of the virus and to to lower the, the number of spread.
1: Germany is coping somewhat well for now with a mask, with the measurements to always be two meters apart, or if you can, um, even with a. Uh, availability of disinfection within the clinic and all the tests we take I think we are as prepared as we can be but with the rising numbers we might have to take more drastic measures again like at the beginning mm. So how
0: how has this impacted um, your work specifically or I mean you said you started in, in September but yeah. how has it how has the the tail end of that been um, in, in a clinic, um, working in a, uh, um, in a hospital?
1: Well, I'm working in a ge- geriatric field, which means that I'm working with old people. Where um, It's the medicine for older people. And I think the average age is about 80, maybe 82 even, of my patients. And we are very careful in our um, clinic. Or in my station, mm-hmm. better to say, but um, so we have a lot of measures to, like, for example, only one person is allowed to visit one patient for only one hour and no more, like no second patient. You can't, like son and daughter, now they have to spread around two days to visit and stuff like that. Right.
0: Um, so do, do you have also have different... Um, guidelines you need to. Uh, I presume you have guidelines, but like sanitary guidelines for, for doctors and for um, for medical staff. So especially there, with all the people.
1: Uh, if there is a reported case, yes. If there is no reported case, it's mostly uh, that uh, the hygiene standards have to be held more strictly than. Before, mm-hmm. and we have to wear masks within the clinic itself, which we didn't have before. Um, but otherwise, um, thanks to a lot of tests, and we know that no one is infected, we have no special, no very strict guidelines for now. But if there is a case, where of course is a procedure we have to then take with isolation, with testing more. Um, other patients, more staff, more workers, yeah, but for mm. now, like, I'm only working there for one and a half month now, we didn't have a reported case yet, so.
0: Yeah, which which is, I think, good uh, on, on, on that part as well. I mean, yes, you, you generally grow with experience and getting through a pandemic like that really gives you a lot of experience, I guess, but then again, I don't know if that's something you really want to have.
1: Mm. Um, because we have so low reported cases for now, and most positive cases don't have to get to the hospital, right? Yeah. And we have special clinics, and if we have a case in our city, they usually... I think it was in the past, go to a neighbor city which is bigger, which has more capacity, basically, right. for now. So even if we have a positive case here, yeah, um, we would isolate them, but the treatment would be in another hospital, in a bigger one.
0: Right. Were there were the specific changes made to the layout of the hospital, of the rooms or something, so to to make sure that you have quarantine rooms or... Has there always been quarantine rooms available in hospitals
1: um, you could always isolate rooms themselves and make um, have special clothing and um, mask and something right. prepared in front of a door but at the beginning of the outbreak of a the pandemic um, there was one um, One tracked I I don't know if you can say it in English like one station was completely shut off it was our corona station Mm -hmm. for people with who are either um, already tested positive or are highly likely to be tested positive Um, but um, it's already been like two or three months since uh, we could close it down and make it our normal station again right
0: Yeah, makes yeah. makes sense. Um, I think everywhere, and probably hospitals are um, one of the more more difficult places with um, yeah. holding up the hygiene and the the quarantine and and everything, all the other guidelines that that have come in. But it's, I see it in my work as well. Even though it's an IT company, like for a short while, everyone needed to stay home, need to work from home. And we have disinfection placed strategically at exits and uh, entries, and in front of the uh, the kitchen. So, and after after you go to a toilet. So, basically, everyone whenever they do something to touch um, food or to go to a toilet or something, you need to go out and disinfect your hands again. Like, which I assume is basically basically common practice in a hospital, but.
1: Of it, course it is, yeah. <laughs> but it was before as well. It's nothing new. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's it's quite new for the rest of the world, I believe, to to really go ahead yeah. and really start disinfecting everything and anything.
1: At the beginning of the Outbreak, it was a really, um, how to say it, um, interesting time at which we didn't have disinfections for the public, right? Like, they cost mm-hmm. like 30 bucks or whatever. Masks. You couldn't buy buy like one time use masks because they we were all bought out and stuff like that. No toilet paper in the markets. <laughs> that was the most interesting time, the beginning where everyone tried to be over prepared.
0: Definitely. And I still to this day don't understand why there was no toilet paper left.
1: Yeah. But Some people must have enough for the next ten years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <I> <laughs> most
0: don't know. likely. And all the jokes and memes going around of um, people trading toilet paper because it's worth more yeah. than gold and putting it in their saves <laughs> and something like that. I, I, well, I mean, um, to, to give a big background about me and when this started, I actually was in Japan. I was, was stuck mm. in Japan. And um, I, I went there at the very beginning when, when the coronavirus just went around. I mean, it's, it started in, I think, December, right? And around February, about March, it became a little bit bigger here in Germany as well. And early March, I left for Japan because I was sure it's it's not going to take longer. Like it's going to go away in a, within a month, so I could just easily go home and um, there would be no issues. So I went to Japan, and then um, the borders closed, and I was basically stuck there for a while because my carrier, I was flying with LOT at the time, um, Polish, and they just just closed all the flights for two weeks. Like, all inbound and outbound flights, basically, were closed. And I didn't have any ability to go back at that point. So I needed to... In the end, what it came down to is I needed to buy a new flight from Lufthansa and ANA. They provided, like, a special discount for people stuck for the first two months or so, and especially at coronavirus fair, and took that to, to get a new flight to go back to, to my house and my home. Um, yeah, it w- was interesting because the, the initial reaction here in, in Europe or in Germany especially, I only got to hear from my family and friends. But I only experienced what was happening in Japan. In the beginning, there was not much happening there.
1: I think a lot of people didn't think that it would last too long because it started like a lot of other um, pneumonias. Like we have Mm. them regularly, every second, third year something in China breaks out, and there's a chance it could get to Europe, and but we never have any consequences here. So you don't really have any change in your everyday living. And I also thought that well, December was a case here in Germany, but one case and it was the same old story, I thought. (laughs) And, yeah, and when it broke up, out in March, I also was very surprised how big a wave it created.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, like, especially, um, and I, I know that Japan is, is a country where people really tend to stick to the rules and what the government is saying, and, so it was much more impressive to just still be there and see that a, a country where you could where, where people are normally wearing masks when they are ill where all the masks were basically just just sold out as well. That was later after at the end of not near the end of March early April um, because I was stuck. I wanted to go to Japan for two weeks and was stuck for another two weeks so I was there for one month. And um, what happened in the end is people were getting up early to just stand in line <laughs> because the first 50 people in the shop would get a pack of masks.
1: That's something that Japanese people can do a lot better than most other countries as well, right? Yes, like That's something <laughs> when I visited Japan, I also realized how good they can stay in line and they have no problems waiting an hour maybe for a good meal or a something rare. Definitely. But and
0: meals, meals especially, meals are such an such an interesting thing. Um, because you in in Japan when you when you need to go to a restaurant, you don't really look for. Well, of course you look for TripAdvisor or something like that. But in general, you you could also just walk outside and look for the length of uh, and the amount of people waiting in front in line. Because the yeah. longer the line, the better, most likely the food, and. In Japan, that really holds true. In Germany, it really doesn't, somehow. Like, there's very few places where you need to stay in line for, and if people just get angry that they need to stay in line and don't go to that place, usually, is my experience here in Germany.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, One question, maybe, when you um, traveled from Japan to Germany... How strict were the rules in Japan, and how strict were the rules on the airplane? <laughs> that's something I would be interested in. Yeah, that's that's
0: actually inter- yeah that that's very interesting. Um, so first things first is I tried to rebook my flight like three times or so, and it was canceled three times. Um, so there was actually no way to get a flight from 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 Lot again to go back. And then I, I phoned the... What is it called? Auswärtiges Amt. Like the... Uh, why do you not know the English name? Taishikan the, is the Japanese ah. name. And <laughs> um just, just wrote me...
1: I wanted to translate it oh. to a translator and see if I can find some... <laughs> well,
0: yeah, Skype... I don't think Skype has an a no,
1: translator. No, it doesn't. In, nah. But... Um, yeah, so Foreign Office maybe, yeah. Yes, the foreign, the foreign office, office
0: foreign ministry or something like that. So the German German representative in Japan and I phoned them because they had cupped like got a cooperation going with ANA and Lufthansa to make the flights cheaper. And they said, yeah, well the next flight that is available is then and then because they only had like two flights available a week. Um they were still going because the rest was literally just everything cancelled. And um, decided for a flight early April, which also, by the way, got cancelled again and postponed to a later date, three days later. So even those special plans had problems really happening at the, mm. at the early time. And um, at that time, I also started realizing, how does it work if nobody's allowed to go into Japan, but people flying in still can't get inside? What happens with the stewards and stewardess, right, with the staff? And um, that's what I set out to to get to know when I flew back. So went, um, on, the, on, the, on the day when I could fly back, I went to the airport, and there was literally, I've never experienced an airport this empty, ever. Okay. It was Haneda Airport in Tokyo. I don't know if you've been there. It's a smaller one, only for domestic flights usually used.
1: Uh, then probably not
0: now. No, and um, it's like there were the f- whole the whole panel where you usually have the lists of flights coming in. They were all red mm. because all the flights were cancelled, and there were I think within you usually have like two hours or so shown um, on on one big screen. And
1: like 100 were... flights within the next two hours or it, what?
0: Yes, and two flights were going. On the whole screen. To Germany and
1: to where else?
0: I don't actually remember. I think I might have a picture somewhere, but not something I could access right now, early, quickly. But But very interesting.
1: It's only the, let's say, rescue uh, flights. In the beginning,
0: beginning it was only only those special flights. Everything else was just canceled, especially in Japan. I don't know for, for other countries, but like I said, like the beginning, I was in Japan, and that was the experience. And yeah, everything cancelled, and you could walk around, and the the shops were still open, so you could still buy lunch and buy food and do everything. But you yeah needed to walk around with a mask on. That's basically it. That's mm. it wasn't even needed, but that's what everyone did because in Japan once everyone needs to wear a mask or things, it should they should do it. But there doesn't need to be a rule or law for that, like it has to be here in Germany. In Japan, people just do it because um, they think it's good and because government says you should. And um, everything and every person I met within the airport that is not staff, not working there, I'm sure was a person that was on the flight with me. Because it was the only flight yeah. going, and yeah. you, you could really look <laughs> around and have with with one, not even one crew, just just those couple people on the flight to Germany. You knew that these people are going to the exactly same place you're going to.
1: Yeah,
0: and it was was really interesting because boarding was the fastest it's ever been.
1: The flight wasn't booked out, or because not at all. Not at all. So many before. flights cancelled. I would have thought the few flights which could take off would be full to yeah. the end.
0: I would have thought so as well, but nothing. Like there was literally, because of coronavirus, they needed to give every person a double seat. So one oh, seat and the next one empty. So you couldn't sit next to one, another person. And if you have um, a middle I don't know which one I was flying with, but I think there's three seats, four seats, three seats, three, four, three. So, there needed to be two empty in the middle, one empty at the, each side. Yeah. So, it's about four seats empty from out of ten seats, right? So, it's about 50% We're not allowed to get people in because...
1: But you Um, didn't have to wear a mask during the flight. Oh, yes, I did. Yes, you had to. I had
0: to, yes. When getting on the airplane, you needed to wear a mask as well. And staff, of course, needed to wear a mask as well.
1: But it's a seven hour flight or even more? How long is it? Um,
0: 12 hours.
1: Yeah, 12 hour flight. I like to Tokyo
0: to to Frankfurt, it was, yeah.
1: Um, So wearing the mask for that long during a small space with not really fresh air?
0: Yeah. I think there's there's two things about this. Um, I think I was able to I was able to take off my mask after I sat down. Okay. Um, so if I if I wanted to, but the other thing is, if I personally, if I do fly longer longer hours, I tend to sometimes put on a mask anyways. And I noticed a lot of lot of agents or Japanese people doing the same thing, because I have problems with the air conditioning.
1: Mm, I see.
0: Because it, it just dries out my nose and my mouth and everything. So if I wear a mask, I keep it hydrated and it doesn't dry out.
1: That's right. In an airplane, you have cooler air, right? So it's not as difficult to wear a mask. Because during summer, when it was really hot, a oh. lot of people complained that they can't abide this rules with a mask. And some people even got permission by their doctors, that they have a lung disease, for example, and they can't wear a mask inside a supermarket, for example.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where that is coming from, because they do make it a lot hotter. But I also think a lot of people are really just
1: over-exaggerating, over-exaggerating
0: yeah. this, yes, exactly. And yes, some people might have a lung disease and some people might not change their masks at all or wash them and have all of this bacteria in there and all of this mold in there. I recently (laughs) read an article that a lot of masks they tested, um, just a random trial, and a lot of masks were moldy, right? Okay. Um, Because people weren't washing them and weren't throwing them away, even though it was a one-time use mask. And yeah of course that doesn't really help much then if you just have this mold in no. front of your face every day right and just breathe that in like but i think that's that's a case in germany especially because people are just so thick-headed here that you actually need to make a law to make people wear it and there's still people complaining and that they can't breathe because of of that thing they have in front of
1: them. There are demonstrations in Berlin. (laughs) Oh,
0: (laughs) yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't even want to go that way, but yeah, there's a lot of demos going on as well about, about that, yeah.
1: For our freedom. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, while I believe that it was not handled in the best way it could have been handled as, I think... A lot of the measurements we have in place right now aren't necessary for, for us to get better. And I just recently talked with another friend of mine and he said, yeah, well, the numbers are going down again. And I said, no, I don't think that's the case because recent, it's now it's um, being October, it shows that numbers are going up again with infections. So um, I don't know right. what people make themselves believe
1: Ah, okay. Well, yeah, I also think that's, uh, I don't know, I think our government did handle it rather well, like obviously not optimal, but who can <laughs> react optimal to an unknown pandemic, really? So I'm quite happy with what how Germany handled it. And um, the case with numbers is the numbers are going up, but luckily the numbers of deaths are not rising as much as the infections. So by now we have a better understanding of a disease and how to treat it than at the start of a pandemic. So that's why I'm hoping for, that during winter we can't stop the infections, I don't think. But hopefully you can treat them better Mm. so that as many people as possible will be able to hopefully get vaccinated next year.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and, and let's see what's going on with the vaccination as well. How long it will take? There's been a lot of tests about it going on. I think Russia also t- said they already have something, um, but they
1: we had something as well, but it didn't hold up during clinical trials. So I see. I don't know what's in Russia, what they have, and how how far in trials it is already. Mm. We'll have to wait and see. And I think humanity is at a point where if someone finds it. They'll make it public. Maybe they'll get uh, they will get money out of it. But I hope that the disease is more important than that. Yeah.
0: The profit, yeah.
1: I I, I get that. And um, well,
0: I, I just hope it's it's not going to take much 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 longer because at a certain point we will have issues with uh, just basic living right the the economy will mm. will get a big impact of it as well and we haven't even seen the worst of it here in germany as you said because we've been handling it quite well and still like throughout my friend circle and 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 other people i know like a lot of people have just lost a job or even without a fault yeah. of their own or just uh in constant limbo because of short work times and just two days in the office every week and don't know where it goes or what they should do or don't really have yeah. an option to do anything.
1: Yeah. Like not only economically, like the households, the, so many persons can't find a job or cannot keep their job or I fear what changes might be, make for our society, how many changes will stay after the coronavirus is uh, defeated, like how, uh, which laws might stay or which thoughts might stay as well within people to not trust others anymore. Yeah. That's that, something I fear. Yeah, it's, it's
0: on one hand the, the issue that you have with um, making friends, going outside trusting trusting strangers and trusting the contact right yeah um, trusting shaking somebody's hand or it is also within the the bigger picture i think after we've had a, munch, a bunch of terrorist attacks right the laws mm-hmm. changed after that to really limiting privacy and yeah. just for the sake of well fighting terrorism even though it's now proven that all of these things they did generally never helped to stop terrorism at all. It's at just least
1: not in such a great. that it is it, um, it makes those uh, um, measurements okay like it's not enough of an impact to make such a different law.
0: Exactly. And um, I know I, I know that Japan because you know as well you've been there, people generally treat each other with a lot of more 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 respect and more distance.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, you don't just shake hands, you tend to do a slight bow. And apparent I, I don't know why that is, but I I see that coming from a past past epidemic as well. I you think? Maybe. Because I know that, that wearing masks in Japan was from some flu pandemic there. And they pe- the people just kept it up. I see. Wearing those masks. That's why it's common in, in, in China and uh, Korea and Japan to wear masks when you're ill. Because they understood that it helps to wear a mask if you're ill. And if you if you look down at the numbers, well, leaving China out, keeping Korea and Japan, even though the, the government weren't that crazy about acting and making rules and new laws about that people were just basically fine with infecting each other right yeah very the
1: numbers, interesting
0: the numbers were never this big because people are much more more put much more effort on how they treat others and how hygienic they are and well yeah where. are ba- just some basic thing like this is wearing a mask when you are ill, when you're feeling sniffly, or when you have a cough.
1: And you think this might catch on in Europe?
0: I wouldn't say it would be bad if it catches on. Okay, but
1: I think in some places it will. Like there's already statistically statistical evidence that the nosocomial infections, meaning the infections you get within the hospital, are going down because the staff is wearing masks. So I think in hospitals it might actually catch on. That's, that's a change I see happening, even for the future. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it will catch on in the general public.
0: Yeah, that's that's a problem I see, especially in Germany as well, because everyone is just... So, like, The only thing you hear in the news is people not happy with coronavirus. I don't Mm. know how many people actually are not happy, because the silent majority is still silent. But...
1: I think no one is happy about the virus itself, but... No,
0: definitely. But a lot of people seem ridiculously unhappy about needing to wear a mask.
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Even though it really shouldn't be that much of a stretch if you want to save some lives, right? like why not just put this thing on and go go about your day? I understand if it's thirty fifty degrees outside and you don't really want to take that mask and and but throughout my life i've I've also done sports with a mask on, which is hard, but it can be done
1: well sports. I mean, right now, I guess it is important that we do that. Yes. But um, I wanted to talk about the possible changes for the future. What do you see happening? What changes within society for maybe the next 10 years to come?
0: Yeah, I I would hope that what people get out of this situation is to stick to some more hygienic rules of life. So make sure that you wash your hands correctly. Make sure you don't really go in and hug and kiss everybody if you're a little bit ill. Make sure you um, think about other people and make sure that if you feel a little bit ill, you just maybe stay home and don't go to work. Mm. Like, those those hygienic rules and those rules of behavior, I think, is what, well, what I hope we will get out of this, especially in Germany. What I don't think will happen is that people will wear
1: masks. Yeah, I can I, see this change in attitude, right? But yeah. you yourself are more cautious about... yeah illness uh, overall
0: yeah and then the question is how long does it does it does it stay around is it just one generation and the next generation will just have it in the history books of the I know the big mm. lockdown or something after the Great Depression or yeah or, I don't know the, yeah how how will will they experience that and will they still make sure this this change in attitude gets well communicated to our children and their children's children the children's children as well or will it just dissipate and just go away in the, within the blink of an eye i don't know
1: yeah but i guess you teach a little bit of what you learned during your life so now it's very difficult to talk about in two generations right like how much our society changes within 10-20 years. Who knows, maybe we'll have an ultimate vaccine machine, which can generate vaccines within maybe a week or two.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Who knows? But that would change society overall, like, drastically.
1: Medicine, for sure, yeah. yeah. Like, vaccination are probably the medication with the most Saved lives because we don't proactively save lives, but um, how is it in English? Prophylactic. Yeah, prophylactic. Yeah. Because we save lives as soon as you give a vaccination. Like, how many people died of um, pox, for example? And having eradicated the, um, oh, the pathogen completely oh, okay. is such a big achievement of uh, medicine. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah,
0: I see. Definitely,
1: I definitely see that. Yeah.
0: And then again, still, you got people that are just doubting vaccination yeah. in general.
1: <laughs> of course, there are people. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, uh, there's I think there's there's a um, play on words there, right? The German one. What is it? Um, the rule. Oh, I can't get it together anymore. But yeah, um, vaccination is one of the biggest biggest achievements in our our lifetime. I feel like that. Not just our lifetime, but the lifetime of our ancestors that they found. Yeah find stuff to just eradicate illnesses if a certain degree or a certain percentage of society is, is vaccinated it just doesn't exist anymore there and that's really really great
1: yeah i've got another question yeah um, go ahead. for coronavirus how do you handle your um, free time during corona now especially hm. with uh, vacations maybe well, what can you do now?
0: <laughs> yeah uh, let me throw that right back at you
1: <laughs> Well um, at the start of Corona I've basically spent my time at home mostly' so home and jogging right and that's the German typical German during <laughs> coronavirus yeah. you don't go out but you start uh, either sports. jogging or riding the bicycle or stuff, stuff like that going for a walk and stuff like that, yeah. Um, But I've had problems finding a job during Corona as well. Like, sure, in medicine you have a lot of free jobs available, especially within the intensive care unit because of Corona. But I didn't want to start, or I not even start, I don't want to work at that specific field in the future and other fields like surgery or pathology, like even um, the general practitioners were very cautious about taking in new employers and they also had very few work for some time. So that's something I um, also Mm -hmm. had problems with at the beginning. Um, And I, I mostly, yeah, did a lot more sports, Visited only family, nobody well, else, basically.
0: I think in practice that doesn't sound too bad, does it?
1: What doesn't uh, sound too bad?
0: If, Going if outside
1: you, doesn't, no. <laughs> yeah, if
0: you, if you just look at yourself explaining what you did. You did more sports, you're more healthy. Um, you went ahead and met family. Like, what's bad about that? Uh,
1: but I didn't go abroad, for example. Yeah. I've had the time... Oh. To maybe even two weeks, go to Spain, for example. Mm-hmm. This wasn't possible for, and isn't right now, right? For some months now. Well, or even going to Poland, like it It is possible. It's not a one of the risky countries, but you don't really feel that safe going abroad right now. At least I don't.
0: Yeah, I understand and. In, in practice, it is possible, but it, in, in theory, it's possible, but in practice, it really doesn't happen. And yeah, just to, to answer your question to me as well, um, not just to only throw it back, that's the only thing I've seen change in my life, because I have not seen any change in my job, apart from being able to work from home sometimes. I've not seen changes in meeting friends much. Because I generally stay at home a lot of the times anyways. And dance was happening as well. So, like, going to work, going to dance, back home sleeping. That's basically my my daily, daily habits four days a week. So, that really didn't change. And the weekend I've been staying home. But since I've been doing a podcast as well, I've been spending a lot of the time home just talking to my friends.
1: You didn't have to um, stop going to dance to the dance or not, not much. Like Kay. just
0: in the beginning a little bit and then for a week or so during during summer vacation and after that everything just was was open.
1: So, I, I mean, mean it's sure. a, it's a dance group, right? So you can stay yeah. far enough from each other or how does it well, work?
0: Fairly Fairly okay. far, yeah. I guess it. I don't know if that is completely fine with the current rules that you need to like and the current laws, mm. because there's there's everywhere. Um, there's there's what is it called? Um, there's there's things saying you need to wear masks, but
1: aerosols or what do you mean? Pardon? Are Aerosols spreading within the room, or what do you well, mean?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so what happened is they got like a, an air conditioning machine, something that really circulates a l- little bit more air around. Um, but I, th- I think that is because of the pandemic. But there's there's um, writings there saying you need to wear masks, right? And you need to yeah. be careful of the of the distance. But in practice, like nobody is doing that. So. I think if there's someone going inspecting that dance place, I don't know if they can hold up with the rules, uh, if they if they really follow all the hygienic r- rules or not.
1: Do you have a lot of contact during your type of dance?
0: Not really. We, yeah. it's, it's hip-hop dance, so we generally just um, tend to stick not to do partner dance at that time. So, uh, really, the the contact is quite limited. But depending on the amount of people there, you're in one room with all windows closed for an hour and you're sweating. So, I don't think there's anything that can be done to stop aerosols going around or people being infected.
1: Probably not now, but...
0: And I'm pretty sure that if something happens there, that is going to shut down for at least a couple of months. And fortunately it did not happen yet, but um, with the way it's handled there, it's quite... I don't think it's handled correctly to to really represent it. But
1: in such groups, losses. it's a lot of uh, responsibility for each uh, other, right? Like you don't go to the dance group if you feel unwell. Yeah. Or if you uh, maybe have fever or something, you wouldn't go to the dance. So hopefully... As long as only the healthy participants come, that no one will be uh, spreading the coronavirus. Exactly, maybe I, no one I, will be infected. And that's why
0: why I'm I'm hopeful that people might get more get this this change in attitude and change, so they really know. Okay, I'm a little bit ill. I'd rather not go to training today. I'd rather not mm. go to dance practice because that will help everyone in the long run.
1: And yeah, And How often do you hear in Germany that because someone had to work he went to work with a fever and the next week everyone was in. Like you hear this yeah. often, somewhat often here in Germany. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean you, you're talking with me who lived in Japan and it's Like there's a big difference still here in Germany when people need to work and in Japan when people need to work. Because there is no rules of not needing to work in Japan basically. Uh, Right? And there's there's no real home office in Japan, at least until now, I think. I think recently now through the pandemic they have had some places have had have been able to get more home office. But usually that's not happening. And you are in your workplace for at least 12 hours every day. And you have to work if you are ill, if you have fever, and something like that.
1: And how is it with spreading the illness, if you go in with a fever? Does it happen often as well? Like in Germany, it happens because we have no hygiene measures within the uh, uh, workplace, within the office. Yeah, the,
0: the problem, I think, in Japan... I, I don't know why they coped so well. Like, they coped so well probably because of personal hygiene is quite important. But company hygiene is, I feel like, way less important than it is in Germany. Because you don't have any personal space.
1: Mm.
0: Usually, if you're working in an office, you have a big room, and then everyone has their own cubicle. And... Well, yeah, while it is, like, ventilated, there's air conditioners everywhere, I don't know how well it is ventilated.
1: Mm.
0: So, I don't really know, I don't have any statistics or nothing, but I feel that everyone is taking more care of themselves, wearing masks, and generally being a little bit more distant, because that's what society gives you, right? You bow instead of shaking hands. And so that makes up for a lot of this giving giving up or giving on um, uh, illnesses.
1: Yeah, because I can see that, yeah.
0: Really, you're not really touching yourself. You're just touching your own stuff you have on your desk. You're not going to other people's desks. And you're not just walking about opening doors, left, right, and center, back in the meeting room, back here, but there, because everyone is just one room. You have one door, and that's the only point of contact apart from your breath and the aerosols, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So but yeah, maybe this will change in the future, like you said. Who knows?
0: Yeah, that's that's why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about. Maybe it it was that people are distant and bowing instead of shaking hands. Maybe that is because in the past there was something big and living together on like a small space, then you need to have these rules in place and that's what worked for Japan. So maybe this is how the future is going to be like for here, for Germany as well. I don't particularly dislike it because I like Japan, but I don't like the idea of giving up and getting into becoming part of a society that is very distant which Japan in parties.
1: Japan has many problems with it as well, right? Yeah. So Germany isn't the opposite I would say. Germany has some of those problems already as well. But it definitely is a lot closer, especially um with friends you hang out. It's still a lot different.
0: Yeah, definitely. And while a lot of that is, c- is coming to Japan as well, and I have always disliked this, this distance you have that... Um, as in, f- in family as well sometimes, right? Some families don't really have the ability to, to just hug, go and hug each other. But I feel hugging is such a human, such a natural human desire that we can't get rid of and if you just exchange it with a bow to someone or like waving your hand at someone that in no way represents what what it should be and that in no way gives you the same experience not even comparable yeah so maybe our future future societies that we're going to become or the future us might deal with it or might have a better way of dealing with it. I don't know. Maybe we just connect our heads directly and hear each other's thoughts. Don't know how how, how the technique uh, or the internet will advance, but I feel that that is some habits that we have in society that I'd rather not get rid of. But I also see if the pandemic stays longer and gets worse again, that these habits somehow need to just be diminished at some point.
1: Well, I definitely fear that those habits will lessen, like hugging each other. I don't know if it will be the same next year. I don't think so, honestly. Yeah. But... I... I don't think that in Europe it will get as distant as in Japan that fast, especially with the Mediterranean countries like uh, Italia and Spain. they are a lot more close, especially in their families, even when here in Germany.
0: Yeah, you're completely right. Germany is, uh, compared to Spain and Italy, is quite distant as well, and we just... Shrugging it off with a handshake, where you need to do a kiss on the cheek or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, the, there is a big difference still, even though it's 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 just a, a small practice we 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 came to have as a society, right? Just to say hi. There's so many different ways to say that, and
1: mm. I don't know. Did you have an awkward uh, moment in Japan when you didn't know how to greet someone else?
0: Um, there's always awkward moments. There, didn't know how to greet someone. I, I I think I know where you're pointing at with that, but I think, um, you trigger, okay. Let me, let me try to explain (laughs) what I, what's going on in my head right now. Um, not knowing how to greet someone, I generally don't have because I studied it before going to Japan and everything, right? So I think if that's where the question is pointing, that would be a well it doesn't happen.
1: So it's very strict rules how you greet someone or
0: Yes, and generally once you learn how to bow, you just bow, right? That it's it's fine. It's just if you exchange a handshake or exchange a bow, it's basically the same thing.
1: Okay.
0: And you get used to it quite easily. If that's where the question is pointing, I'd say no. But You also have struck a point because there is times where even I, even though I learned it, don't know how to greet someone. And that comes through, I guess, Japanese society in general. Because you have those ridiculous... Well, is it an expectation? I don't know. Like, changes because of language. Changes in status. Right? Someone older than you has bigger status someone longer at the company, even though they're younger, have a better status and whatever. So it's all... All the communication as well in Japanese, in Japanese language, is based on this one status. Sometimes you take yourself back, sometimes you make the other person better. The so-called yeah. keigo, kenjogo, like this, this humble speak. And that changes your status and that changes how you behave as well at a certain point. And... If you're putting it that in, in in this context, yes, I have I had it because there is the question of how deep do you bow, and this can be what? something surprising. Shoulder
1: level, crotch level, or ground level? Or <laughs> <laughs> what are I talking about?
0: Yeah, how deep do you bow, and um, which bow do you do? Like there is there's bows for every situation. There's a quite famous one, I guess, that is also going on okay. around the internet. It's the so-called dogeza, which is all the way head on the floor. <laughs> and, but this okay. is not used. This is used here in the Western for just comedic purposes. But in Japan, it's a really, really big deal if you do that. Because that means you have done something really bad. That, and it's, nobody does that. I've never seen see. anybody really do a dogeza to anybody. That's that happens if you really, really fuck shit up. I don't know if you, if you're married and, um, you, you have a sidekick. Some like not sidekick. What is it called? Um, an affair. And a, if you have an affair, that's when you do the dogeza. That's okay. it's really if, if shit hits the fan, if you have made something that really quirked up your life or the other person's life and you need to fix it or you, you wasted a lot of money from the company and you're like, dang, like I can't make this better. I need to append for, like, append, append for my sins. And even the normal bow has different stages. Like there's the normal bow that you have just with your head when you just do like a small... I don't know how to how to say it it's like a yes a signaling yes thing if you just just pull your head up and down that's just mm. slightly this this movement is like a small respectful bow of saying hello without offering words or saying thank you without saying it or right? if someone gives Some you, not
1: waving, you mean or pardon Similar to waving, like in Germany, we wave if you're not close enough to say hello. Yes, yes. But it,
0: it has more, more. So for example, if you if you lost, I don't know, if you lost your wallet and someone behind you says, "Oh, stop! You lost your wallet," and gives it back to you. You say thank you and just you you nod your head a little bit to to appreciate. Okay. Or um, if someone holds open the door for you, just nod the head a little bit and go in then. Without it, it has. Now thinking about it, a lot of facets to it, that uh, uh, are not. It, it's generally showing respect to the other person, I'd say, though it doesn't always mean respect. Most of the time, it just mm. means thank you or how nice of you or hi, even. But if you if you're in a busy situation or if you if you don't really want to. Want to be loud right now? It's it's quite good to use that bow and say yes, um, hi, I seen you, like waving, but without the hey, how are you? Screaming across a station, so everyone just looks at you. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I think in Japan people are quite reserved and quite making sure that you have your that that the your space or my personal space is is not. It has specific boundaries and are not stepped over, so that people don't tend to be loud if they if they are in a, in a situation where they shouldn't be. They don't tend to be too active if they shouldn't be. So it's like you need to be have need to be part of the norm as well at some point to just make sure that you're not. The one acting out, you're not the one making making problems for everyone else. So, like this 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 how do you say it? this this thing of meiwaku um, is what it's called. So inconveniencing somebody else, it's is frowned upon, and mm. nobody sees that as, as being quite good.
1: Yeah, that's something we Germans could learn from the Japanese as well. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, yeah.
0: But yeah, you're, you're right, you're right Like here it's usually just Oh well, it's my right, I do it Oh, this is your job, this is what you do uh, It's not my job,
1: I don't do this Yeah, yeah not only this and Some companies Like being Head on and not thinking About others can bring you further Right, like yeah. there is no The older people has the higher ranking Or something like this yeah. It's whoever does it, basically And um, I don't know the English word but um, brazen or, yeah, being dreist, right? Being brazen yeah. is something yeah. a lot of people are, and they think it's a positive attitude because they get further ahead with this. Mm. And it really not only annoys me, but it really is a very bad habit in society mm. to not look for, out for others. And luckily, it's not a lot of people, but sometimes you really have those people around. Uh, what I wanted to ask as well is: Do you have a moment where you felt out of place, or where you had such an awkward moment which stuck to you?
0: Oh yeah, there, there's a couple of these. Um, there's a couple of these.
1: Any you want to share, or uh, rather not? <laughs> yeah, any like
0: it's. Th- I can't share everything. I'm I'm fine with sharing it because it is part of an of an experience, but. I need to figure out which one, which one fits well. So, like, there's the typical culture shock thing when yeah. you're out of slaves place. I don't know if you ha- had that when you went to Poland in your one year. What was it, civil service, right?
1: Yeah, I not not really. Okay. Um. So, what that
0: was for me is twofold. I had a culture shock when I went to Japan after two months. And I had one when I came back from Japan to Germany again. And it manifested in that way that... Like the first... The the actual one in Japan... That I was just disliking everything in society basically. Everything when, when a person I don't know talks to me... Like everything that is special in Japan... I really started to dislike at that point. So, for example,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was living at that point in uh, the first time I was in Japan, and when I had that culture shock, I was living in a rural area, and there was not many foreigners around. So, what happened to me is at one point someone just started talking to me on the street. Like, it, it's I think it's it's what you guess get if you're a celebrity someone just wants to talk to you and they yeah. just started talking to me and but nothing really without any any real reason to for me completely
1: random persons
0: or basically random yeah completely random person saying oh look at you how tall you are how tall are you right mm-hmm. like really okay I'm, yeah thanks I'm, I'm 186 so and oh your Japanese is so good oh thank you and basically, <laughs> just wanting to know what I'm doing there. And
1: uh, what people were those, like older people different. working, like completely, com- completely different? Completely <laughs>
0: different, what you would not expect. There's less younger people doing that, more older people. But if it was like woman in her, I don't know, 40s, housewife, or an old man, just it, like. Generally, older people, 40 and upwards, I would say. But see, yeah. just for any specific reason, and it also happens with younger people, but not in rural areas, and it happens with children a lot in rural areas as well. Like children, generally try to try to talk English to you and say hi, <laughs> and then you talk back to them, and uh, um, you 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 can talk then as well, right? Once they know you you know Japanese, you talk. Um, If they know you don't know in Japanese, they just try to impress with English. But that's cute,
1: right? (laughs) It is, it is. If children try to talk to you, hello, Mr. Big Guy.
0: I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But at that point, because it is happening, I was just fed up with it. And that's one way how the culture shock implemented me. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I felt like a lot of my Japanese friends were not really friends. They were just thinking of liking me because I knew English and Japanese and could help them out. And like a lot of negative thoughts just come into it because I was not used to this, this new culture at that point. Mm. And a lot of things I don't really know anymore right now as well, probably. I would just need to think of it again and to, to really figure out what was all going on. And I also had problems with, yeah, the, the friendship thing, like finding friends and not really sure who I could trust, who I couldn't trust and who I wanted to, right? Like yeah. give my time to, to be worthwhile and be friends with because I felt like a lot of Japanese people were so like... Mm, we're so less inclined to be having deep discussions with you, and just
1: just like shallow. Is that something that is more often in Japan as well? Like, is it only with you, the foreigner, or is it between Japanese people as well that uh, friendship might be shallower? Um, or can't you know? I don't know.
0: Yeah that that that's a difficult topic. And I believe that now after after years after living there for 2 years and coming back and learning a little bit and having a Japanese girlfriend as well I feel that it is shallow in some situations. And that is part of that is based on the language. Because in a lot of situations what matters is your status in that
1: situation so for does example does it also matter during a night out or friends oh yes. does it also matter okay it, it matters anywhere
0: and everywhere and if you are a foreigner you're generally out of that system so okay. you have like we had it before with how to greet someone Um, you have the benefit that people don't really know how to greet you too. They don't know if you know Japanese culture, if you know how to bow, or if you want to do a handshake. So it often results in something like doing a handshake while bowing. Um, Okay. And then showing respect for the... The the, the foreigner showing respect for the Japanese culture and the Japanese person showing respect for the other culture, right? So in that sense, I think it's a genius invention but it looks so weird. <laughs> it sure. looks just so weird <laughs> if you just put your hand out. And, and part of that has made its way into Japanese culture as well. I feel like I've I seen sometimes two Japanese people among each other just shake hands and just bow. Or one person is bowing while shaking hands. But that again, it, I don't know if that's not a, thing, not a hello. It's more like a thank you. And Mm. giving someone else their hand in Japan. So (sighs) I I've not been living there for a while, so I don't know if something changed or how it works. I'd need to speak to to my friends over there. Or maybe just like live there again to really figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, um, let's get get back to what you asked. Can you can repeat that? Because I forgot to be honest, sorry.
1: I asked you about situations, uh, awkward situations, you with, right. which stuck with you, maybe. Got it. Like that—that's my. That's actually
0: you're you're taking my job here as the host right now. <laughs> 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 Just remember where we are. <laughs> no, that's completely fine. Uh, I I'd like to talk about this as well, and I mean it, it's it's good for you as well, I guess to to get to know this, and that's mm. part of it, right? We never really talked about stuff like this in detail, so. That's why I really enjoy doing these podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, and um, back to the the culture shock. Then I guess the the second culture shock was coming back to Germany, and um, that was immediately. the the first Well, the first one waited, and I was really struck by awe. First thing, first thing I went to Japan was I struck by awe, and you know this feeling when you know you're doing the right decision and you know you're doing the right thing. and mm. I, I generally call it God Mode. <laughs> okay. I don't know if there's a really good explanation for it. I think people on the internet say it's Flow. It's called Flow. but Or it's part of Flow or Flowing.
1: But knowing that you're at the spot where you want to be at a time which is right... It definitely not, does feel good, yeah. Yeah, and
0: what it did is like this overwhelming sense of achievement of yes, I've done something and yes, I am correct and I'm right and I'm cool and whatever I do, like this overwhelming sense of whatever you do, you could achieve right now. It's probably very similar to a high you get from from some kind of drugs as well, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> But it's just the natural part of it that you get through being yourself and doing what you like what you like to do. And I had this the first first time coming to Japan quite strong in the first weeks. And it started lingering after after two months. So I came there in October, October, November, I was living there normally. And then December coming towards Christmas and stuff. That's when it started to to get the, the culture shock, because, well, usually at home, usually with family and friends, and I wasn't at that time. And that was the first time for me as well. So all of that played into getting it. And this is the
1: first time you've been in Japan, right? Like, during university.
0: Yes, yes, I'm talking yeah. about university mm. right now. That's 2000, when was it? One, two, 2014, I think? 13? 13, 13, 14, something along those lines. So quite a while back, actually. But um, coming back to Germany then, after that year was over... That was actually the year when you visit visited me as yeah. well. Um, coming back after that to Germany, that culture shock was just immediate. Coming back to Germany, the first thing I noticed is the supermarkets. Everyone is just loud and saying, <laughs> you're not fast enough packing up your shit. And people can't queue. And ugh. Wow. and that's what just struck me the moment. And then I had like two or three weeks of culture shock in, back in Germany. And it manifested itself for me as well, again, with just disgust about a lot of things. Well, the first one was disgust about Japan and Japanese society and friendship in general in Japan, the second one was but discussed of behavior in, G- in Germany and that people are so loud and nobody is reserved and nobody is just looking out for other people. So.
1: Yeah. But no special moment which just struck you so much that you still remember this day or whatever. It's just this general feeling which you still remember. or
0: Yeah, it's I, I guess it's part of the whole situation there. So really putting it down to one singular moment is quite hard. Well, the, the one moment I really remember from the first time in Japan was when I got lost.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: That's also a story. Do you, do you know that? Have I ever told it to you?
1: I think so, but I don't remember right now. Yeah.
0: The first time I was there, we we got there's me and a couple of friends from university as well. So we were three I people. I remember,
1: yeah, four mm. people.
0: And um, our teacher got us from the from the station for the first day and brought us to our dormitory. And we went through the town to get like registration, and he showed us the u- university and everything, but. We just had one day with a car to, to drive through the town, basically. It wasn't too big, but it was like, I don't know, 25,000 people living there. So not too small either. And then we went back to geometry. And the second day we were meeting with people from the, the same seminar. Um, that were usually just, or like people that are in a, in a club. What did not in a club? What is it called? Like, Um, university learning foreign languages they were basically greeting us for the university in in our dormitories as also there's other people living there as well so we just hang out with them and the second or third day was a weekend and we decided to go out first day foreign, foreign country basically what do you do? you go out, you go clubbing and we went clubbing into town into the one singular club they had there, and that was basically one of the worst experiences of my life. Because I was, it was fun up to that point, drinking, meeting your friends, going out, and then you went to that club, and after a while, just they stopped everyone dancing or having fun in the club and got people in that were dancing with basketballs or footballs.
1: Okay. <laughs> and
0: you just needed to make a circle. And while in the middle of being in the club, just everyone just... Like, those four people had their performance in the middle of the small club and dancing with a basketball. And I found that... Like, I found that really, really,
1: I guess, Was sad. the club really full or...?
0: It was quite full. So you needed to actually make space to... Mm-hmm. Uh, so people needed to stop what they're doing to have place for those four dancers to to dance. And I really disliked that, so I just went outside to, to get some fresh air and said, well, let's just walk around here once. And I got lost. <laughs> Without... I didn't have a phone.
1: You never found the way back, or... <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's why I'm still there right now.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I I didn't have a phone. I didn't actually know where I was because I've not had the time to go through um, the town, and mm-hmm. I just thought after a while, like, um, well, I don't know where I'm. Just let's just walk in this direction. Just go. I'll see where I end up and where I can go.
1: How late was it?
0: Well, middle of the night, like two a.m., yeah. three a.m., or something <laughs> like that. So
1: crazy. Okay.
0: And um, I really. Yeah, I didn't really know the language either. I knew it a little bit, but not much. And after walking for what it felt like two hours or so, I I came to a place where there is um there's trains, like train tracks, and walked along the train tracks. And some time then I noticed, oh, I've been here before. Why my dead drunken brain thought that I don't know but I think it was right so and at that point I just walked another direction I've seen or I I think I remember (laughs) us going with a car and somehow I was back by I don't know 5am or something in my dormitory and then I was was definitely back the next morning sleeping and next morning I got like um, people talking to me uh, like where would where you go what happened we were so worried about you you just suddenly disappeared <laughs> um, um, yeah that that's interesting and then while I had in the dorm here I had I had Wi-Fi again so I could talk to people as well but the day after or the week after I, I immediately got like a cell phone to to be able to to yeah. also do do phone calls right because back in that day you you couldn't really have just a SIM card um, that that like the, the Wi-Fi as well, that came after after that year, slowly. At that point, it was just, a, just a, um, people were still having these old, um, Japan is one of the countries where you have these old, old fold mobile phones still. Okay. And at that time, especially, everyone had just had one of these fold things, not even a smartphone yet, a lot of them. And, um, yeah, I got one of these as well. It was just in the mix. And the next year after that, people started getting SIM cards and, and all of that. So it was just right at the transition. I think that was the year when the... I don't know what iPhone it was. I don't know my... I think I had a Nokia Nokia phone still at that point. Friends had iPhones 4. But it, it took a while to... To be able to go to Japan to get SIM cards nowadays, it's completely fine. But um, back in the day, it was really, really hard to get get something, and you weren't even able to get something just as a tourist. I only was able to get it because I was living there. To get like just yeah. not just a phone, but like also a prepaid SIM card, you weren't able to get back in the day. Interesting. Yeah, and that was. Um, well, now it became just a good experience, I guess, but back then it was quite ridiculous to just well go out in a foreign country, place. It's the third
1: you, day in that country, country, and
0: <laughs> yeah, not having the language ability, not having the any ability whatsoever needed, f- and just get well, lost.
1: And especially follow a train track, like yeah, <laughs> drunken.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it worked. Yeah. It worked out fine. So I'm quite happy I'm still here and uh, that definitely made part of my experience there as well. No. Yeah. yeah. Um come in the wall where we aren't then, um, what about your experience abroad? Because I generally talk to a lot of lot of people um living in foreign countries here on this podcast as well. And how was was your experience like first time you went um, to to Poland and um, do you think you want to do this again? You want to go somewhere abroad again in the future?
1: Definitely. Well, definitely, yes. But uh, I, it was a different situation when I went abroad, right? I went directly after school with a voluntary service, which um, is quite rif- different to going during university, I'd say. Um, I had a lot of stuff organized for me, like um, similar to you probably, like where I live, where I have to go to, um, which people are responsible for me. Like, for a voluntary service, this is all already prepared when you start your voluntary service. And um, back in the day, like nowadays it's not common anymore, but I had a course to uh, learn the language. Like, how long was it? Four weeks, I think. We were in Krakow. And... um, had a language seminar and um, I didn't really have a culture shock because Poland still is in Europe mm-hmm. where a lot of similar customs and I worked in a children's home for children which parents can't care for them anymore for mm-hmm. different reasons and children are similar in every country I think so um, It was a shock not knowing the language enough, uh, especially talking to children, who always tried to uh, ridicule you and to make fun of you. Like at the start was really um, stressful, Um, but you could always get around and I wasn't alone. Like uh, there was this German girl, uh, Inga, who also did this voluntary service together with me. So I always had someone um, which I could speak to and uh, with whom I we could organize our day and what we wanted to do. We worked together.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's very important to have someone someone there that you could just go back after a while to just talk to and think, okay, how do you experience it? How do I experience this with differences here, with difference to back home? And just someone to mm. basically give give a counter...
1: Honestly, point as well. I wasn't that reflective back then. Okay. <laughs> I was too young to really re- reflect on what exactly are we doing here. It was more like um, experiencing living abroad, living alone or semi-alone and um, having basically a job, um, having... A foreign language you have to learn. Having the opportunity to meet completely different people, make new friends, uh, see another culture—like it was more exciting for me to look forward rather than to reflect on what exactly is going on. And it was a really good time. I really had um, a lot of nice experiences. Uh, had some bad experiences, which helped me. Uh, to become who I am right now, and um, yeah, the language. Uh, after the year, I could speak Polish pretty good, I'd say, because I had to with the children,
0: mm.
1: and um, yeah, it's kind of sad. I haven't. I've been there again, I think, two times now, but it's only two times in the last ten years, so it's not. It's best something I'd like to do more again. You asked if I want to go abroad again, and I'd say definitely, especially to east of Poland, where I was, Mm -hmm. I was near uh, uh, Warsaw, was the children's home, Um, and I'd really like to go back to Japan as well, Um, for more than just, uh, for maybe again a month or something like that, Uh, to Japan more for traveling and to Poland more for visiting friends and, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you still have, how many friends do you still have, man?
1: People I could call friends, a couple, actually, but I don't have a uh, very good contact with them, I have to admit. Mm. Uh, we rarely write each other. Um, but some of the, now I have to think about it, the workers, however, called the mm-hmm. Um they've written me like a month ago with pictures. Um, to me and Inga really got to know them. They have two children now together and have swapped their workplaces and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they yeah, have written me, like I said, a month ago. Um, Others I've been partying with, actually I don't have a close contact anymore, they're all, we were all like in our early 20s, maybe even 19 years old, I think they all moved on, studied, probably are working now just like me, maybe abroad, that's something a lot of Polish people do, they um, emigrate out of Poland. but the people I worked with, I've still have contact with some of them.
0: Hmm, that's interesting because um, that means you you've been quite well then at, at establishing friendships there. Because from from my university years in Japan, I don't really have anybody left I, I can talk to.
1: Well, like I said, with f- the friends I've been to pubs and we've been out during summer. I don't have that close a relationship, it's more with the uh, older people who actually were responsible for me, <laughs> mm. who kept uh, contact with me. Yeah, yeah
0: that's, that's cool though, that's good. I also know a couple of people in near near Warsaw, but this is from basically last year. When I went to Japan for uh, one of the biggest festivals with the, my my dance classes there, my my yosakoi dance. Interesting. As there is a team in Warsaw, and I knew I got to know like four or five of them, and um, we had, had we had our, our experience partaking in this one week. What is it like boot camp? And then... In Japan. fun.
1: The bootcamp in Japan
0: or... Yes, in Japan. Okay. Well, I made it a bootcamp. Like, nobody thought it should be a bootcamp, but I said, well, let's get up early at 5 a.m. and do, do a run as well before we start our training. Mm. And let's not just have a break. Instead of the break, let's do half an hour, um, other trainings as well. So I, I basically, within the bootcamp, did like... Twice what would not twice maybe, but a little bit more what everyone did in, mm. in terms of training. but what that was for is we all needed to learn the song and to to dance in synchronization synchronized and um, the festival was two days, two days long and you got to know people quite well if if you're going through that that course yeah. and that 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 f- part of the festival as well and it's it was physically strenuous as well i think there's quite a lot of things i can imagine that are quite more strenuous but um the fact is that we were from all ages from people in their 20s all the way over to people in their 50s which is is impressive to to get an international team like that all or going for over different languages as well. Um, some people not knowing Japanese, some people not knowing English and just um, being able to communicate and to get everything everything done as well. But it's it's quite good and was quite well 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 done as well. And yeah, part of those people are from from Poland. I've I'm still keeping in contact, but I've not been able to, to go back ever. Or like to even visit them once. Mm.
1: We could drive together at some point, maybe.
0: Yeah, I and mean, oh, nice. I'd like to go to Warsaw again. I've only been there one, one day, I think. Two, no, two days only. And the only experience I had there was going for work, and being fined a fee because I didn't get my ticket for the train. Mm. So okay. they just because I didn't stamp my ticket. They. Yeah. They pulled me and then said, "You got to pay now, sixty euros or something like that." And yeah, it was a bad experience. But um, I need to go there for some kind of event, like a couple of years back, and that's the only only time ever I was in Warsaw, and unfortunately, um, didn't really know any any of my friends or anybody there yet at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, Warsaw is an in- I don't know the city itself I didn't get to like as much I have to admit like in winter it's quite nice but it also has a very how do you say it after the war it was rebuilt really fast on the outsides and the Mm. building architecture really isn't eye-catching like it's not a very nice city to drive into. It has a lot of, uh, how do you say, a lot of options, like cultural options. It has a lot of parties going on, clubs and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, we we lived 100 kilometers away from Warsaw, so I wasn't often in that city.
0: Mm. So, did you... Being young and all, did you? What did you take out of your your semester or your one year abroad? What What did you learn? What What did you? Um, well, thinking back at it, mm. um, how did it help you grow?
1: Well, um, living alone, of course, the first time, having to do everything, is. Um, something you take home afterwards. Being how do you say it? Self-sufficient? Yep. Um, definitely helped a lot. Uh, something I did take home is that I don't want to study too far from home actually. Like being six years at least away from home um, I kind of didn't want to be after this year. I felt like I want to have the possibility to get home for birthdays and bigger um, and like events like Christmas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I did take home that I want to study medicine. Like a lot of people, uh, me too, had options what we want to do but didn't really know. So this year helped uh, strengthening that decision. Yeah, Yeah, I I can
0: also um, attest to that because we were doing it at the same time and I was doing like civil service in my hometown, basically. But that also really helped me to figure out what I wanted to do because that was the year when I just suddenly started to buy a book about Japanese language and just started learning it and suddenly realized, wow, it's the first time in my fucking life that... I'm learning something without having the need to, and I like it. Mm. So I was excited to, to do something, to find something new. Yeah, I get that.
1: Yeah. Maybe a passion for, um, how do you say it? Intercultural communication, maybe, because the organization I've been with in Poland. Um, is a non-profit organization who actually mostly works for peace work and uh, volunteer service is kind of a side story, like a, like a way to try to um, bring more peace into our world. And uh, the year abroad maybe didn't help me find that passion that much, but being in contact with this organization. Um, Definitely is something I kept after um, that year. Mm. And now I'm, how is it, Vorstand, I don't know, the director of this organization, one of the directors of this organization, but um, um, volunteer director of this organization, Mm -hmm. and I'm still working with them.
0: Yeah, the 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 problem is with director and stuff like this. Is I think in British director is the one uh, on the top, but in American yep. English director is just uh, a position a little bit more down. Okay. But um, thinking of it, like I I usually use these everyday these positions, but when you ask me about it right now, I blanked out and I don't really know what the position is called. So. Um, like, we're fine to stick with director.
1: Yeah, to clarify a little bit, like like most or like a lot of non profit organizations, you have um, uh, volunteering members in this organization who take responsibility for it. Like that's our position of, of us for. We are responsible for this uh, for this organization. We give a line or a direction we want to go, which. Um, uh, volunteers we offer or which projects we start but um, it's all voluntary f- of us to do that and we have hired people who actually do the stuff we say mm. <laughs> maybe that's clarifying so, it a little bit So in, in what context are you still
0: working with them and what is the name if uh, you if you want to disclose it
1: um, It's uh, Pax Christi in mm-hmm. Aachen and um, It's an organization which was founded or which started some years after the Second World War, like 1940s sometime then. And it started to bring the countries, the cultures together again after the war. It started in France. It's a movement from the church, hence Mm -hmm. the name of Pax Christi. And uh, it has... Yeah, it's goal is to bring peace and communication between the different countries. And Aachen specializes in, or takes this um, peace work into voluntary service. And we try to have voluntary services to bring communication between countries to start projects and uh, to, yeah, bring an understanding of each other. Mm-hmm. Which is why we not only send volunteers abroad, but also bring volunteers to Aachen from abroad. Mm. And uh, we mostly have volunteers within Europe or southern, southeastern Europe. Like we don't send to South America or Africa, like a lot of others. Mm. We try to bring this peace movement within Europe. Yeah, and. Um, this, which, uh, this is what I mostly do. Like, that's not on- the only thing we do in Pax Christi, but this is something I've stuck to. Like, I'm still organizing meetings. I'm uh, uh, trying to help the volunteers to with their visa or uh, try to give them information. When we select volunteers, I'm with, an, with a team who asks them questions? Who says, "Okay, do they fit into this uh, this country, this city, this project? Yes or no, and
0: stuff like that." Wow, that's that's interesting. First time hearing
1: that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a side project of mine, like a passion project, mm. which especially this year in January that take a lot of my time. And in Corona times, um, I. Luckily, wasn't as stressed, but our um, hired worker had to call all volunteers back home as fast as possible. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was really stressful for our office. But I
0: imagine it's going to be hard. We, yeah. yeah.
1: We don't have volunteers for next year, by the way, Corona and all. Um, only one. Um, uh, one guy is going to Auschwitz. Um, um, I don't know the English word. It's Auschwitz. Mm. We have a project where there and Poland is fine. Like Poland is not a r- risk region. So he's the only one we could send out.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. So balancing, balancing your studies, balancing your job, balancing the volunteer work with Pox Christy. That's uh, a range of achievements there, I think, to, to get this all under one hood.
1: I don't know if I would call them achievements, no? but uh, we have a lot of support, luckily. Like, um, Sure, it's some work, but um, we are really nice. Um, yeah, I don't know if organization is the right word. Right? Not a nonprofit organization with a lot of members who can pitch in, who help out, and uh, which is why it is so much fun to also work with them and help where you can. Yeah,
0: I, I, I imagine that. That's really cool. And well, thank you and thank thank them also for for doing this work. I think it's 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 very good to promote volunteer work all across the world and um, to get people basically this international experience just just with volunteer work is, is what I think a lot of people are looking
1: for as well. It's definitely something worth doing. I'd definitely do a volunteer service again but um, uh, I personally can't anymore and I would recommend everyone to do it either after school if you don't know what you want to do with your life, or do it after your study, which is what a lot of people don't know about. But after studying, you also can do this volunteer project. Yeah. and
0: uh, What is the what is the um, what is the rules for, for being able to become a volunteer?
1: Uh, an age requirement of under twenty eight, or or maximum twenty eight years old. I see.
0: And then, um, are you? Do you look to to um, choose the region you want to go to, or is it chosen for you, or how does that work?
1: Um, You apply for one project. I see. For example, this project in Poland, Auschwitz, you apply for this project at this organization, you apply for all you want to go to, and where you get an yes, you can decide to which one you want to go afterwards. But, for example, we... Uh, one of a few organizations which have like 10 projects going so if you don't get the one you want we usually still ask if one other is maybe also interesting for you Mm
0: -hmm. yeah very very cool Um, I think we have been going for one hour and 45 minutes what do you think about that?
1: It's quite some time, right? Yeah, isn't it? Um, Half of it has
0: been you taking my position and asking me questions, which (laughs) is completely fine, though. But um, I think we also talked about a lot of of stuff we, we generally don't really come to talk about. I mean, we've been friends for so long. Yeah. But lately, the time we talk is, when we play games, we talk about the games. But I... It's, it's really it's impressive to me that I hear of Parks Christine like the first time right now literally. I know that you've been abroad and there you've done volunteer work and stuff but mm. I didn't know that you're still supporting them and uh,
1: helping them out. Well it's since last year so it's always been a side project of mine but since last year I've been involved a lot more again. but yeah it's a lot of informations right You yeah. don't know about the other. and um, it's always nice. talk about it again like always finding something new
0: definitely and um i think if there's one thing we can take away from this is that we will be able to continue on after coronavirus as well and um, we will be able to get through it and well we'll just adjust somehow
1: definitely and it's up to us to form how we want the future to be right after it where we want to return to and what we want to keep
0: yeah definitely and um the other thing as well that i usually point towards is as well that everyone should just try out to do something abroad i know that the situation right now especially epidemiology epidemiology <laughs> Because of the coronavirus, <laughs> oh come on, fuck this! <laughs> really, <laughs> like because of the coronavirus, it's hard to to go abroad and do things. But I think for for my life and what wanting finding what I wanted to do, and I think I'm I'm able to say this for you now as well, is that it has been a very big influence, either j- just going abroad and experiencing how it is in other countries, and would really really give this to to everybody as just not just an option, but a serious, taking a serious thought about um, really doing at least one year abroad in some shape, way, or form, be it part of the university, be it part of a job, be it part of being like a volunteer, because it just opens up not just your mind, but also your options and really really helps you to find what, what you're looking for.
1: I totally agree.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, any any last words or do, do you have something else you wanna wanna continue talking about?
1: No, I think you're right. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for doing the podcast.
0: Well thanks thanks for being here. I, I'd love to have you on always again if you have time.
1: Gladly, yeah. Um, I can see that
0: perfect um, yeah um, anything you you need to have plugged like I can put down your your Instagram your your personal address your PO box where people can send you I don't know the <laughs> sex toys or whatever they want you uh, I don't know like anything maybe we just talk about Parks Christy so to promote that it's up to you
1: well Pax Christie. I can mention the SDF uh, V is a group which uh, sends volunteers out every year. Pax Christi is one of this uh, group uh-huh. members. And um, I don't know the English alphabet. SDFV. SDFV, yes. Sozialer Dienst für Frieden und Versöhnung. It's called in German. I see. It's something if you're interested, look it up. There are a lot of different options to make a volunteer service or, if that's not an option for you, maybe to help out. Like, if you are abroad, we are always happy to um, hear about someone. If you have maybe a project which you want to be uh, become either a volunteer service or to be helped, um, we are always happy to find new, eager, motivated um, yeah, volunteers.
0: Do you have an English
1: website? An English website? I don't know, actually. Um, For our project to get to Aachen, we have one English one. But um, the SDFV, I don't know. Probably not.
0: Yeah, I'm not finding anything. But um, for everyone who's able to speak German, definitely check it out, I'd say. And um, yeah. Just, just look at at finding um, things, and if if you're interested, there's ways to to go abroad as a volunteer. And I think um, Leo and um, those guys are doing a good job. So
1: other than that, I'm fine. I think. All right, perfect.
0: Then thank you so much for being here.
1: Always happy. Um, thanks for being Thank with you myself. for having and,
0: me. Um, yeah, we'll. I guess I keep, I'll keep asking you again the next time when you have time, so we can get you on as well. We
1: keep in touch, yeah. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: All right, that's it for today. Thank you again so much for listening. If you got any tips, questions, or Anything on your mind, just feel free to reach out to me on my email address beingwithmyself at org. That is beingwithmyself at org. Or find me on my Instagram at notabi That is written N-E-Z-U-M-I-N-O-T-A-B-I. In the future I will also be putting news of new episodes on my Instagram and I think of giving updates about future update stuff there. So, check it out. And if you like the podcast, share the word, share the podcast with your friends or your family or whatever, and come back to me, reach out, say hi, and let me know what you think of it. Thank you so much and see you with the next episode in two weeks, probably on the 24th or 25th. Bye-bye.